Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcoming adventurers, Dylan here. And on today's podcast, I interview Joel Robinson. Joel Robinson is a is the naturalist for you, naturalist-for-you.org. And he leads a local group, a nonprofit, to help people connect with their environment around them, to help them connect with the wilderness around them. I met him years ago when he took me foraging and hiking, and we explored the locals of Orange County, the LA area, Ojai, and beyond. He's got an amazing story, an amazing mission that he's on. When he first fell in love with nature years ago, and he he realized that the lands around Orange County were slowly being willed away by land developers and beyond. He first started out with rage and anger and why won't people listen? And then he realized the best thing to do is to flip that. Flip that around, instead of raging at people, why won't you listen to me? He decided to create a community, an organization, a nonprofit, all focused around helping people really reconnect themselves to nature so that they could naturally fall in love with the nature that he's fallen in love with. And by them all falling in love, love nature, all falling in love, love nature together, they actually are able to then work with him to say, hey, look, we all want to make a profit, but can we think about the nature first? Can we actually have less profit and focus on more of the long-term goals and visions that support humanity? And so we have a beautiful and wonderful talk all around his journey about being the naturalist for you. And without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Joel Robinson. Hey, Joel, welcome to the podcast, buddy. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited that you're here, man. I, uh, I uh, <clears throat> think last time I saw you, we were, uh, we were hiking around the hills of the, I think, Silverado Canyon, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Um... And I remember, I think at, one, at least one of the times we hiked together, you had a friend who ran a restaurant. Was it Dos Chinos or something like that? Is that yes. right? Yeah. Yes, Dos Chinos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about foraging and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. He's a big forager, fruit picker. You know, I have these groups of friends that like, you know, if it's pomegranate season, they, they want to go down to Yorba Linda and just go like get all the pomegranates or just like, they just know where the places are to get the things. And just, it's nice when you have uh, um, like-minded friends in different areas that are all into it. Uh, there's a there's another friend of mine, uh, Mish, Michelle Haddad, who I was on the podcast, who loves to lobster dive. And so- Oh, wow. This opened up like last month. And so he'll dive into the ocean snag a lobster and then just go and like cut it in half and grill it and stuff and it's like you know he he has to you know i gotta tell you it's one of the most you know delicious food literally guarded by monsters of the deep you know great whites that are circulating this area i'm just like huh. maybe i'll go pick some berries instead you know <laughs> yeah i i've been swimming in the ocean a lot more lately and uh mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's amazing, but I, I guess that's always in the back of my mind. What am I going to do when some giant organism swims by me? <laughs> you know, like am I am I going to stay calm or am I going to freak out and then like run out of air? Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like it's like oh yeah, that's right. Middle of the food chain. 
That's where I'm at. That's my place in this world. <laughs> yeah, man. So, I mean, um, I, lately, I mean, have you been, have you been doing like hikes or retreats or is there, is there any new interest that you've had in the, the areas of wilderness? Yeah. Uh, most of what I'm doing is by request these mm -hmm. days. Uh, because people's schedules are all over the place. And um, that's worked out really well, actually. A lot of people are following us through various means, either through social media or through our meetup or something like that. And, um, and, then, uh, and then it's a lot of word of mouth. And so I'm able to be of service still. A few other volunteer naturalists that are a part of our group uh, pop up and do something every now and again based on what they're passionate about. So. It's working out pretty well. I mean, the whole COVID pandemic thing uh, really, as did everybody, knocked us down. And uh, basically everything that we do became illegal just all of a sudden, you know? So couldn't social gather, couldn't go to the parks because they were all closed. So uh, unless you were a local and you could walk to the trail, you know, that, and that even then there was, you know, it was pretty strict. So as things um, opened up again, uh, which has been for a while now, uh, it's been really great because people were stir crazy, you know, everybody was stuck in their houses. A lot of people, I mean, not that people had to be, uh, I mean, in Orange County, especially, there's a lot of space. It's not like being in crowded streets of LA or New York City where my brother lives. So, you know, we being able to go outside and if we can gather together but a lot of people really restricted themselves i think unnecessarily and we're just staying completely indoors even though they didn't really have to and uh, so for all those people i think it's been a real benefit for us to be there and take people out um i, I had tons of things scheduled before everything was locked down and you know with schools um uh, different groups, libraries. I was going to do all these presentations, and I was really excited about all that. And that all just went away. And uh, I, I mean, it was it was hard. It was like I had I went through a period of grief, uh, and yeah. I think a lot of people did with whatever jobs they were doing. It's like, what do I do with myself? You know, I want to live life to the fullest, but I'm not even really allowed to. So that was really hard. But now um, I'm able to. I'm not, we're not at full capacity by any means. There's a lot of things I'd like to do and we just still can't do it. Yeah. But, but uh, there's enough going on. And then I found other things to do in the meantime, besides leading hikes and, and um, teaching people how to forage or, or process acorns or that sort of thing. Um, I've been playing more sea shanties. I'm in a pirate band. So we, we You're get, in a pirate band? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, <laughs> totally out of left field sort of thing where um, I dress up in my pirate uniform, you know, with mm -hmm. my pirate buddies and we go around and um, perform for those who uh, need some sea shanty therapy, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so, you know, blow the man down and all that stuff. So that's what, that's one of the other things I've been able to do. And, you know, there's all this outdoor dining, so it's perfect for people who are performers um, you know, six foot of distance is no problem. So uh, it's been really fun doing stuff like that. Okay. Also, I feel like, well, I mean, one, you know, with what you did, it's just outdoor foraging and, and just you know, being a naturalist in the wild. One, I think it's an amazing um, just 
service that you provide to people. And yeah, with, with all the COVID, it's like anybody that was meeting people, you had to stop. And I felt like the one of the greatest, the greatest negativities that happened from COVID was not so much what death and illness is terrible and a tragedy, but it made connecting with people bad. So like hugging and kissing and high-fiving and touching and smiling and joking and, and sharing drinks and food and like anything that allowed us to connect, it was like, that's now bad. Everyone's bad. Stay in your own corner, separate. And that to me is like, was, it's like that insidious kind of destruction, right? Other than the, the ailments. Um, I, I can totally relate to you. I, I, not just with our nonprofit and, and uh, in terms of our mission of connecting people to each other and to local natural areas. For me personally, um, it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty devastating because I felt like both, you know, with the nonprofit and in my personal life, I was striving to be closer to people and, and building community was all about hugging and being close and in all different ways and sharing food and everything. And so it was, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, I can't um, underestimate the word devastating because it, yeah, it almost felt like uh, we've just reversed all of the progress as humans in terms of being empathetic and, and trusting our neighbors. And, and it was like, all of a sudden, don't trust anybody. Everybody's contaminated. And it's like, no, this is, this is not where we should be going right now. If anything, we need the total opposite, you know, but, but obviously there's this risk that is, is sort of um, elusive and, and invisible really, you know, that, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it blew my mind and, and I, it took me a long time to get over it. And I mean, thankfully now, as we're realizing what the threat really is more. And, and yeah, I, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm hoping you're able to hug certain people <laughs> that you're close to do, uh, you know? There's a closeness. There's, what I noticed was this, there's, there's a, a couple of things about it. Um, you know, one of the things is, is, yeah, you it felt like when we're going in that direction, we're like, no, no, other way, let's go the other direction. But it was like, because a lot of people were like, what? Who cares? I, I'm if I get sick, I'll be fine. But the insidious part was like, no, no, you might be fine, but you could kill your grandma. And like that, yeah. that right there is when everyone goes, oh, my grandma. And then it stopped people from those doing those things. And what I saw when um, we went to go see, uh, one thing that dawned on me when we went to go see, there was like this really awesome. Um, blue tide thing going on, uh, red tide, where you could see like the bioluminescence yeah. of the oceans and it would roll in and you'd see like the, the colors in the water at night. And we're like, you know, this was right when, around the COVID time. We're like, you know what? It's nighttime. We're just a small group of friends. I'll tell you, we know we're all good. Let's just all go out together. And so we, we all went out together and we went there thinking that no one was going to be there. And the beach was packed at night. And there's just like these little pods of people. And I realized that's like, oh, everyone goes, you know what? My immediate people I care about close, as long as I travel in a small little herd with them, then we're all cool. Like, like they're like, we still have to like, like the yeah. four people in my life, you've just got to be next to them. Um, I saw that's, that's how they now travel. It's like, it's like our, 
out outward circle all got shut down and it was just like who's your most immediate people in your life and then those would be people that you're like you're cool you're on the inside that was, that was my take oh yeah yeah i i was probably one of in one of those pods <laughs> one of those nights um our timing was off i think we i knew about it and the smell was coming from the ocean and so i planned it out with um brother and sister-in-law and their kids and my wife and daughter and we went down and my mom at, to Corona Del Mar, but it was just like, all we did was have a nice time at the beach with lots of other pods of people. Didn't see the shimmering in the water, which I've never seen to this day, but it was exactly what you're describing. You, you know, it, it, and if I didn't have that, I think I would shrivel up and die. I think humans just need at least some contact with somebody or, or we just can't really function, you know? Yeah, you, I mean, you think about like, even like prison, the worst thing that you could do in prison is social isolation, solitary. And it's like you, yeah. you're around murder and rapists and just all types of criminals. And the worst thing you could do is just remove them from other criminals because you need that connection so much. It's just, it, it, it's just a, it's a, it's a piece of us where we, we, it's like a, it's like water or air or something. Oh yeah. What do you, what do you here's my question for you. You mentioned certain, I'd like to go yeah. back to it is you talked about, your mission um, with the Naturalist uh, nonprofit. Yeah. Can you, can you, cause I, I'm not entirely sure on that. Could you kind of tell me what your mission is with the Sure, with sure. The so the short version of it is connecting everyone to local wilderness and wilderness is, is an idea that sort of a romantic idea that popped up in the uh, late 19th century, early 20th century. I think mm -hmm. it was really perpetuated then. And I don't know, necessarily even buy into the concept myself anymore but when i first started the nonprofit in 2006 it was a nice way to encapsulate things people think of when they connect with nature you know quote unquote nature they they feel like they, they're going into this wild place typically they're visiting um this area that's not managed the way our human communities are in our neighborhoods and the urban and suburban, you know, sort of matrix. And so I tried to sum it up real well with basically we as naturalists are liaisons between humans and the ecosystem. And so we can help people cultivate a relationship with their surrounding environment, whether it's plants or animals or, you know, big picture, small picture stuff. Um, using their observational skills, uh, using their five senses. And so I thought that mission really encapsulated that, connecting everyone to local wilderness. But now wilderness for me doesn't really make sense anymore, but I still keep the mission. And I guess at some point we can reassess and change it. People still understand what it means, but I consider everything natural and everything wilderness at this point. And uh, I don't see the separation anymore. And especially studying ecology, uh, there is no separation. No matter where you are, inside, outside, in the countryside, in the middle of the city, there are processes, natural processes going on, living things interacting with their environment. And so taking that idea, um, mm -hmm. Uh, that's really where we're at in terms of our nonprofit. Basically, no matter where you are at any given time, you don't have to be on a hiking trail in a national forest. You can be in your own backyard. You could be in your house. And just instead of taking this sort of conditioned 
look at everything where it's more about what you've learned and what people have told you. You're actually putting all that aside and being mindful. Uh, mindfulness, real buzzword these days. Um, mindful of your surroundings and actually letting the information come in using your eyes and your ears and your nose and your mouth and everything, touching everything. And, and that in turn, I mean, it's amazing. I, I, you know, it, it could also be called consciousness, you know, uh, where uh, you realize that there's all this amazing stuff happening at any given time, you know, for, for folks who are in like a little apartment in the city, there's this whole world in the corners of their ceiling where there's cobweb spiders catching flies, you know, and, and there's dust mites and all sorts of strange stuff at a microscopic level happening. It's all fascinating. And, and then you have these like Netflix documentaries that where they have really good cameras and they show you these close-ups of things that are actually happening around us all the time. And thanks to them, which basically, you know, these filmmakers are like naturalists too. They're introducing us to things that, wait a second, we live in this world, it's amazing. I don't even necessarily have to drive anywhere to appreciate it. And so if I'm doing my job right, if our nonprofit and all us uh, volunteers are doing our jobs right, we're basically uh, just becoming a trustworthy guide somebody to facilitate these memorable experiences where everybody is open to the world and they're using their sense, senses and they're stimulating themselves and they're using their minds. They're, they're, they're trying to problem solve. A lot of times when we're walking on a trail um, in a quote unquote natural area, like where we're at Black Star Canyon or Silverado, somebody will go, what is that? Like I, I, I heard something over there or I smell something. Or wait a second, I've seen that plant before um, on other trails. Can you tell me what it is? And so I'll basically, instead of go, oh, that's a da-da-da-da-da, that's the Latin name, it's used for this purpose, or, or this animal appreciates it for its nesting, you know, whatever. Um, I could take that approach. And a, a lot of tours are, are, that's how they go. And a lot of the information goes in one ear and out the other. But instead, that person on our group is, in, is attracted to this thing then we all come in like, oh, where, where, what are you talking about? And then we'll all gather over there and say it's a particular plant with red berries on it. And so we'll go in close uh, and they're like, yeah, so Joel, what is this? And I'm like, well, what do you think it is? Well, uh, I don't know, that's why I'm asking you. Well, can you describe it to me? And I'm trying, I, every time they ask me a question, I, I come back with another question, just basically hoping that they'll put aside um, you know, their conditioning and actually pay attention to what's there. And it's funny, a lot of times, even if they don't have a label for the plant, they actually know more than they, they're giving themselves credit for. Uh, and, and then they also um, are now cultivating a relationship with that organism. How does it smell? What do the leaves feel like? Um, how big are those berries? Is it just red, like fire truck red, or is it another shade of red? You know, and I just keep asking these questions until they're getting more and more in depth with their descriptions and they're interacting with the plant. And then maybe some animal appears from inside and they're like, whoa, I didn't know that was there. Oh, wait, it was just there the whole time nesting, you know, and, and then something else eats a berry and like, whoa, if they can eat it, can I eat it? You know, and so this whole story emerges and all of a sudden, you know, what could have been a two minute oration becomes a 10, 15, 20, 30 minute 
experience all around one plant or whatever is happening in front of us. And then by the end, they've worked so hard in appreciating that thing that, you know, uh, basically they can, they have a takeaway now. They, you know, the, the, the gift of observation they have, and then they've shared it with all these other people. And, and then I can provide a little bit of help with labels and things like that, of course. And, and then that way, it's just like getting to know a person. You, you, you find out more about them and then the name sticks. It's like if you're introduced to a ton of people all at once, good luck trying to remember their names. But if you know a detail about every single one, oh, that guy laughs in a certain way and this guy is really good at um, drawing and this woman, she is a musician, you know? And oh, wait, the musician, she plays the flute. Oh, that's Mary. I now I know Mary, you know? So they can use their own mind to, you know, the next time they see that plant with their friends, they go, hey guys, come over here. I learned all this cool stuff about this plant. It's almost like, this is my friend, you know, Toyon or Sagebrush or whatever the plant is. Come on over. I want to introduce you to my plant friend, you know? <laughs> that, so that's, that's what we're doing. I, I, I hope that wasn't too much of a- uh, That was great. Yeah. <clears throat> It was great. It made a lot of sense. Um, There's a lot to, lot to unpack in that, uh, but there's some things I just want to kind of acknowledge as we're going through this is um, part of the things that we come from is like, as we've created more technology, right? Um, the technology has made our lives easier, quicker, but doesn't necessarily have made it more enriching, right? And so there's kind of this thing like, oh, don't answer, Google it, right? Or, or just, just look it up. Or, I mean, right now, I think there is a Google app that you can look over a plant and it'll just tell you the name of it, and what oh, it yeah. is and stuff. But does it mean that it will stick? It's like, it's, like, it's like reading the bio on a person versus actually naturally having a conversation with someone like we're doing right now. We're going back and forth. We're getting to know each other. We're talking about these these conversations. We're going deep. We're finding these stories, right? Where where you could, I mean, you could you could rattle off a list of characteristics about you or me, and you're like, okay, there's no there's no emotion to it. There's no connection to it. There's no experience that really allows that that enriches the moment, right? And so, and there's stories in everything. You're talking about the, the, the cobwebs with the, with the spiders, there's stories inside there. There's the little micro universes and whatever you focus on, I mean, you could focus, you could be in a hot air balloon, for example, looking down on the earth and you could be looking at that story. You could drill down to the smallest little microcosm, right? And then just see that story. Uh, there's, so, there's, so there's a lot of, what you're talking about, it, it, it's the only adding the information as you're uncovering the pieces of the story of how this one element, this one organism, this one creature fits into the whole because the story about the situation is what makes it meaningful, right? And that's, what the, that's one of the things I found to be really cool about what you're talking about is you're, you're not just saying, you know, you're not the uh, walking, talking uh, Google book, right? You know, where you're just like, <laughs> this is this thing, this is this yeah. thing, this is this thing. They'd be like, oh, thank you. And then just goes, like, it's like almost meaningless. You're like, it's like, but by stretching out that, that answer and by working for it, like we know that effort creates meaning. So I just, I mean, I love the fact you're talking about reconnecting basically human to the present moment in their environment. And so that sounds a bit of, I, I do feel like there is a difference between studying the asphalt and a sidewalk, which there could be life there and things like that versus getting completely in, in a non-man-made environment 
and then just looking at all the life because we have a tendency to kind of sterilize and carve over and and like uniform like you look at the cornfields right it's like one corn it did, you know it wasn't until a couple of years ago that i realized that corn didn't all come in yellow like that was new information to me and uh, i saw someone like looking i was like wow and it's like oh that's right like but but we've been conditioned that there's there's one way to grow things there's one way to eat things there's one way to do things versus not really there's you that connections you can have with your environment and the stories that unfold finds that there's so many different ways to get to know someone or get to know your environment. And that's, that's, that's really, really cool. Um, sounds like you spent a lot of reflective time going through nature and just kind of thinking about why am I doing this and why are we all here? And like, I I'd love to find out kind of like, how did you get started on this path? Like you started the organization to connect, you know, uh, mankind, uh, society, humans with, with, wildlife and then it kind of evolved but like what set you out on this path and what were was there moments or stories or things that really um inspired you to do this well i like what you said um about uh in the in the more urban managed landscape you know uh the way we have homogenized things and uh uh you know asphalt and and monocultures with corn and all that. Um, that's something that growing up, um, I got bored with really quickly. So growing up in a suburb with big wide streets, manicured lawns, having access to convenient technology um, where I didn't have to make an effort. So I was losing the meaning of everything. I mean, these are it's perfect everything you were saying. This all influenced me from an early age. I'm a, I'm a very um, tactile person. I'm very visual. I have, um, I guess you could call me an artist. I, uh, growing up, I drew a lot and, and sculpted and thought I was gonna be in the world of um, film or animation or something like that. So I was sculpting characters and drawing creatures and things like that using life as inspiration and then mis mixing things up and you know like making little goblins and stuff like that um but i've always had this very detail oriented very focused uh perspective of life so there's always the one like at the playground i'd wander to the far end where there was some tree and a little bit of soil and and i'd like just spend you know immerse myself in that little world there away from everybody else um, and just stare at all the details and, and smell the soil and, and, and look at the bark of the tree. And I, I just, it, it all was very stimulating for me um, from a very early age. So that, that's definitely been an influence, but it also, um, and then we, my family would take us on trips. We'd go camping and things like that. And that was just like overload because you know, being in a suburb, it's only so stimulating the, the diversity of organisms is less, like you said, you know, and things have been yeah. cleared and, you know, pesticides and herbicides and just like paving over everything has made things more predictable and, and uh, less exciting. And so then we'd go like to Yosemite or something like that, or some more local place. Um, I was in scouts for a while. Um, there's this place off the 57 freeway, Tonner Canyon. 
and um, we camped there one time and we camped on Camp Pendleton another time in this remote area. And that was just like, uh, you know, for an experience for somebody who's so detail oriented, it's like, it's like taking a dog from a, it's the same thing, you know, dogs have such a, uh, they're so sensitive, their nose, their sense of smell and everything. And you take them to a trail versus an urban area and they're just like, oh crap, you know, there's everything happening. They want to stop and smell every five seconds. And that's how I was. I was like a yeah. dog, you know, it's like, there's so much more happening here. There's, there's more, more bird sounds. There's, there's this smell, there's that smell, there's this other smell. It's not just exhaust and this static noise of machines all the time, you know, and traffic. There's so many other things going on, you know, and, and the water has all this life in it as well. You know, there's all these other bugs in it and frogs and salamanders. And, and so um, even though I'm trying my best to now to cultivate or help cultivate or, or, or stimulate a relationship between a person and their environment, no matter where they are, when you have these, what I would call remnant environments, like in the national forest, or like on the Channel Islands, or these, these what we call really wild places where they haven't been managed like we've done in the city and the suburbs, those areas, um, because they're so stimulating, it's an easy sell for me to get people to, to start paying attention to their surroundings. It's, a, it's like, you know, it's, it's, that's the wake up call. I need places like that. I think we all do. Um, and, and they're just so incredible in so many ways and so diverse. And it, what they also do as sort of like a stepping stone is they, they, if you're really paying attention, you realize, oh, wait a second, the cities and the suburbs were like that too, you know? And, and we as humans have taken away all those diverse elements, but there's an opportunity to, for lack of a better word, rewild our urban areas now, you know, and bring up that diversity again, you know, cause we're losing pollinators and we're losing, you know, our connection to each other and, and to the earth. And, and, and a lot of it is, has to do with those conveniences where we don't have to make the effort anymore. We're just letting technology do everything for us. And, but then when you go into these raw wild places, you have to do everything yourself. You know, and then you're challenged and, and there's obstacles and, and it's like, oh my gosh, I feel alive. And it's like, well, yeah, we're like killing ourselves, like in a very sort of slow, methodical way in these urban areas. And that's how I felt as a young adult. I started getting hemorrhoids, you know, and uh, um, I just couldn't spend time inside anymore. I was working at Disneyland, one of the most manufactured environments you can think of. And it was very predictable. And, and, uh, and so I started going on all these hikes and it was just like, I was so thirsty for hikes. So I kept going and going and staying all day long um, at a local park called Santiago Oaks Regional Park. And it was just so, uh, you know, again, so stimulating. Uh, and, and, and then I realized, oh, wow, you know, uh, I could just stay inside and play video games all day long, which is what I was doing. Um, and, uh, you know, under fluorescent lights and everything, or I could spend more time out in these wild places, but there was a big thing happening being in Orange County, these real raw wild places were highly threatened by development. And I watched as 
a new residential development that wasn't very harmonious with the environment at all. Um, they actually broke the rules and, and their earth movers crossed over the boundary line of a protected park. And the, all they got was a smack on the wrist. Nothing really happened. And then there were, I started realizing that all these other projects were happening where they were just going to take away those last you know, uh, remnants of, of what Orange County used to be, which was the most important to me at that point. It's like, wait a second, this is what's so invigorating and this is what everybody's taking away. And so I started showing up at the council meetings and, and you know, writing letters and everything, but it was very, I was very upset because I didn't understand what, you know, I just cultivated this relationship more strongly than ever with these wild places. And you know, spending all day, all night with the birds and the plants and everything and just getting so much out of it. And then watching these bulldozers come and just destroy it completely and make this predictable, boring suburb again. And it was, it was just like, I don't know what to do. You know, so I'm just like, you guys are crazy. You need to stop doing this. That didn't convince anybody of anything. And, and there was a lot of people who, more people than me that weren't aware that there, these threats existed didn't care necessarily that we were losing these park spaces or open spaces. And I realized, oh, I need to be involved in some sort of project where we are building community. So everybody is now aware of the, the benefits of these places and wants to take care of them, be stewards of these places and will fight to protect them when it comes down to it. So. I realized it was more about, you know, me actually going out to, to the rest of my neighborhood and with my peers and everything, reaching out to them and inviting them on hikes with me, you know, versus me just going out alone, you know, and getting my fix, but then watching as everything just continues to get destroyed and I'm powerless to do anything. I wanted to make it a we. I wanted all of us to have this relationship with this place, whatever it was. And, and that's sort of the inspiration for it. Along the way, I worked uh, on the Irvine Ranch as a naturalist for the Nature Conservancy. I worked for Santa Ana Parks and Rec as a naturalist at Santiago Park. And we were restoring, we were actually rewilding a city park and making it more like what you get in the mountains. So it was really exciting to be a part of these things. And, um, but then I wanted to focus on areas that didn't have the attention that those places did and so I, in 2006, that's when I jumped ship from these other full-time secure jobs and established our nonprofit, Naturalist for You, and, and started focusing first our, uh, on national forests, being these huge swaths of land that very few people visited, very few people knew about, yet there were millions of acres. We already owned them, and yet they were sort of being neglected and threatened in various ways. And people didn't have a relationship with them. You had millions of people living at the base of these mountain ranges that are our national forests in Southern California. And just a select few people, you know, usually privileged people were the only ones actually benefiting from these places. And so I thought, wow, that's a perfect niche. Our nonprofit can help the rest of the community go out under safe, comfortable circumstances, have a good time and maybe learn something and then walk away with like, wow, you know, that, that place gave me, there were so many gifts that I received from that place that I want to make sure that's there for my family and friends, my children, 
I don't want that place to ever go away. And if anything, I want more places like that. And, you know, I got enough of the city already. And, you know, it's all about moderation. Technology is great and it's convenient. And, and, you know, these new apps that help you label things or whatever, they're all tools, but any tool can be used appropriately, but it could also be abused. We can become addicted to it. I think that's where we're, we're walking this line right now. It's like, oh, you know, are we spending too much time on our phones or, you know, uh, phone, these phones are great and they do all these other things, but, you know, so we're, so we're, I think we're still very relevant as humans with this job of being a liaison between, you know, uh, the urban, pro, you know, mindset and, and being out and connected to nature. Um, but uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's, it, I think what inspired me was this, this conflict, this challenge and the disconnect that a lot of people had. And I all of a sudden was having, you know, and, yeah. and my connection was becoming deeper while everybody else's was becoming shallower, basically. That's that's super interesting. And it's so funny, I've, I've known you for so long, I actually didn't know the genesis of like how everything came about. And that's really, what I really like about is that I have a lot of friends and I have a lot of friends in the space that want to do good. They, 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 they want to have an impact. Uh, some of them go about it a way that is impactful. Um, and sometimes they, they go about it the other way where they become a victim of their own anger and they become a victim of the inability to communicate really the value of what they are offering to people. And so what I mean by that is the fact that we see something going on, right? We, we get deeply emotionally connected to a cause, right? And we wanna rally people for, for help. And everybody wants to buy, but nobody wants to be sold. So if you're just sitting there just yelling at people, you don't understand, you should love it more. I can't believe you don't like this, appreciate it. All that does is just push people away because you're so angry about the fact that why don't people understand? And it's not coming, like people aren't attracted to hate. You know, people are attracted to love, right? And having that mindset to go from, okay, wait, I'm really upset with these people because they're destroying something I love. I could spread hate about these people, which maybe gets some people on your side who are other hateful people, or you can inspire people to love the things that you love and love to defend something you love versus like against hate is so much more powerful because you have this natural desire to, to get closer with it, to protect it, to become one with it, to, 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 to create deeper connections with it. And if you're just exposing more people, if more people, you know, instead of them hating land developers or hating whatever it might be, they just deeply, deeply love nature and respected it intimately, then you have just, you would have your own natural calling to come out and defend it when the, when the need comes and the rise comes. So I love the fact that you flipped that, that you first went down one path, you're like, hmm, this is, I, I could do so much by myself and I could scream and yell at people by myself, or I could inspire other people to love the things that I love. And that the natural byproduct. And I think that's super cool that, that you, you recognize that and you flipped it. And then you started, you know, not only doing it officially a part of, you know, these rewildings of these cities and these, 
in these um, just national parks, but also to inspire other people in the path to have them, you know, learn to, you know, forge and gather and connect and reconnect and, and, you know, I, being a technologist, I am someone who builds technology uh, and that's what I do. Uh, you know, I've always, technology is just a magnification of the human's intent, right? Do I use it to numb and sedate myself away from everything? Or do I use it to call my grandma and say, I love her? Do I use it as a form as, you know, connection? So I always, I always look at the, 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 the greatest purpose that technology can serve is to reconnect humanity. If you look at like the internet and the cell phone and the, uh, and the airplane, all these things bring people together, right? But it can also be used to veg out on social media, not really engage the people, but just lurk around to see what everyone else is doing, right? And uh, and so, um, you know, I, I love the fa- I love the fact that you you went about that, and you kind of your your first real calling was like to protect the thing you love, which I thought was like super cool. Um, Along this path, let me let me ask you a question. How do you, like, as you're going along this way, I mean, what have been some challenges that you've faced as you've gone through, you know, like leveling up your skills in the areas of being a naturalist? You know, what battles have you fought along the way? How have you, how have you been able to kind of armor up, you know, against, you know, all the, you know, the, the, the toils that, you know, this, this universe throws at you? Oh. That's a good question. Um, well, as <laughs> it's, I didn't pick a profession that pays very well. <laughs> so, um, you know, the financial challenge of it always is present. Uh, and, but we, my wife and daughter and I live pretty modestly and, and, you know, we, uh, luckily we have, uh, family to support us as well um, when we're not doing so well. Um, uh, my mother and and my wife's parents and 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 friends and uh, also have supported us over the years. Um, but uh, I mean th- that has been a challenge trying to find a place to live, knowing personally for myself that I I'm not. It's hard for me to live in a suburban environment, um, especially um, for the reasons I already mentioned. So uh, we found a place to live in Silverado for a while, for nine years, which is a more rural, rustic environment. And uh, and but then rent was raised, and so we had to move away from that. And so that was a really big challenge that I'm still grappling with. Um, and I think it's hard for a lot of you know you you find a place that you love to be and you feel comfortable there and you always want to spend your time there, but you know, things are fleeting, you know, and the rug could be pulled out from, from under you, you know, I mean, it's the same with everybody who has had some, what they thought was job security during the pandemic and then, you know, layoffs, thousands of, you know, a lot of our friends still work at Disneyland or they did, but now Disneyland can't open. So, you know, so that's definitely been a challenge. Um, but we've, risen to meet that challenge fairly well and it's just you know what do you do humans are good at adapting so um and and trying to turn what would be perceived as a negative into a positive into an opportunity um 
you know, being back at my mom's in East Orange, in this 1970s tract home neighborhood, you know, there's foraging opportunities here. There's, there's a, a piece of open space nearby. And so I just started scheduling more um, experiences through our nonprofit where I currently am located. And uh, um, you, uh, wonderfully so, people were attracted to those experiences or are, are attracted to those. Um, I actually had started offering a mindful, well, it's been two or three years now. My friend and I, one of our board members, Dan Spurgeon, um, and I started offering a mindfulness meditation at, at that urban park, Santiago Park, where I used to work for the city of Santa Ana. And um, it's a very easy walk, but it's all about the things we've been talking about um, and just reconnecting and opening up your senses and, and uh, just being present and, and knowing that there's just, you know, I'm pretty lucky. Uh, you know, I don't have any serious ailments. I have family, I have friends, I have a good support network. So I can't, I don't feel like I really can't complain a whole lot. Um, but I do nitpick because <laughs> I do, I do know what I want, you know, but in any case, a lot of people have it a lot worse off than I do. And so I realized that when we offer these experiences through our nonprofit, that some people need this desperately. It's their like once a month therapy. Um, so whether it's a mindfulness walk or it's just a regular nature hike, or, you know, it's a, some sort of workshop where they're learning how to process some forest food or something like that, or bird by ear where they're listening to the birds and identifying them based on how they sound. Um, a lot of people who show up on our tours, they're not necessarily getting outside and doing anything the rest of the week or the rest of the month or sometimes the rest of the year. I've had people show up um, you know, after not seeing them for an entire year and I'm like, hey, how's it going? I haven't seen you in a while. Have you been hiking other places and exploring? And they're like, no, I literally haven't gone on the trail since I last saw you a year ago. And I need it desperately. I need it so bad. I'm unhealthy physically, mentally. My job is taking its toll. You know, this is happening. That is happening. It's all stressing me out. I need this. And so as much as I'm having challenges, and it is definitely therapy for me to get out and just, you know, be next to a tree and listen to the birds and the breeze through the, you know, rustling the leaves and, and the creek blowing and burbling and all that. I mean, these things are just magical and they just, all your stress just drains from your body. Um, it's, it's really wonderful to be able to facilitate this same experience, not just for me, but for others and watch as the stress drains from their bodies and, and all the challenges that they're facing in their lives um, aren't so much a challenge anymore. And they might even be able to see how to turn it into an opportunity like me. Um, but yeah, finances are always a major challenge. I mean, but, you know, in terms of another type of challenge that I've faced, I think I feel like I'm in the belly of the beast in Orange County because uh, this guy, a historian said it best, Jim Sleeper, before he passed away, he said, um, Orange County planners are paving over Orange County faster than historians can write about it. And that's been a constant challenge, watching things get erased everywhere mm. to this day and new projects on the books where each time, you know, for whatever, you know, 
I don't know, you know, it, it's not always residential, it could be commercial, it could be whatever it is, um, but it's gonna be an extreme modification of the landscape. And it's shocking to me and to our community who um, you know, have been working so hard for so many years to reconnect as many people as possible to how beautiful and diverse this place is that the projects are still not necessarily creative or open-minded enough to, to incorporate more of what we would call the natural environment into, you know, and create a more harmonious um, sort of new development for the benefit of everyone. And so that's really hard. And I'm in, you know, I, we all have short lives, so I get really impatient. It's like, come on guys, you know, I know you want as much money as possible as quickly as possible. And we don't know when we're gonna pass away or whatever, but still, can't we like work together and make this a better project for everyone versus get in and get out, you know? And so that's, that's a real big battle um, yeah. And I don't really want it to be a battle. I feel like we're all on the same side. And I feel like just some people don't realize that they're shooting themselves in the foot, you know, or, or binding themselves in the process of that, you know, it's like, don't sell ourselves short. This place is too amazing. I mean, it's a paradise on earth. You know, the climate's better than almost anywhere. Um, you could pretty much go out naked on Christmas day. It's usually warm. I mean, it's just like, and you got everything, mountains, the ocean, snow, you know, uh, uh, the, every type of restaurant you could want in your life. Every type of person from every part of the world is here. And we're treating this place as if it's, you know, not that special. Uh, and I'm not saying everybody is, but a lot of people, like the way we manage our land here uh, isn't, I don't think, every, I think we take it for granted. It's yeah. like, I, I, it's a lot of times I want to send people, people who, you know, multi-generational people who've lived here in Southern California, um, who are just used to the climate and that like, they don't go to the beach, even though they live next to it, you know, and they don't go for weeks or months or ever. And like, oh, it's, like, it's there. Yeah. They're desensitized. Ahead. They're desensitized yes. to the awesomeness that's around us. Yeah. So I and, want to send people like this to Minnesota and say, hey, spend some time in Minnesota where the weather's yeah. harsher. And then come back and go, oh my God, California yeah. is amazing. That's really one of the biggest challenges that I face. Yeah. And it's, yeah. yeah. Anyway, go I, on. I, no, no, I experienced for the being a native Orange County person, I experienced yeah. Boston in January for the first time. <laughs> and, and that was just not something I was prepared for. And I yeah. went for, I went for a run outside. I'm like, I'll just go for a run around the block. It's, it's snowing. It can't be that bad. And I got like halfway, I was like, I might die. Like I may not make it back. And I was like, nowhere in Orange County will you ever face that kind of problem. And you're right, when it comes down to the thing about this capitalist society, because financial problems are, are, are with everyone. But some people, they have this like really short-sightedness when it comes to profit. And they're like, look, I'm gonna maximize profit it's someone else's job to be concerned with the ecosystem. It's someone else's responsibility. And they're gonna say, they're gonna to try to take as much as they can without the consideration of, look, like if you take that piece of plastic and you throw it into the ocean, it's like you are contributing to the, to the negative aspects, right? And it's like, there isn't this like, this entrepreneurial humanitarian plus kind of thing going on where you say, okay, yes, I wanna make money. and I want to benefit society at the same time. 
maybe if I just don't take every profit humanly possible, like maybe if I don't shove a thousand chickens in a box to get them all to crap out eggs and they could actually live a healthier life, maybe the chickens could be happy and we could be happy and everyone can live happy. But it's such a short-sighted, like I'm starving. Even if they, even if they're not, they could be multi-million dollar, uh, multi-millionaire like land, you know, creators, you know, land developers, and it, they still, it's this game where the only thing that matters is how much money's in the bank, at the expense of destroying the society and not the society, the, the ecosystem around us. And so, but I do feel that people are slowly becoming more aware to a degree, not everyone's doing it. It's not all at the same time, like lights going on in the city at night, right? They'll pop on one at a time. And, and we still see those things, but I feel like people are slowly becoming more aware of just like, is it really worth it? You know, is it, is it, is it, is it really, you know, necessary? Um, you, you brought up something um, before when I, when I asked you to be on this podcast, um, something about an augmented reality application. Um, I would, I would, I'd love to, because I, I feel like it ties in somehow, and I'd be more than happy to talk to you about it, uh, my experience with augmented reality, and and if anything, um, just like uh, offer any advice or guidance or anything, or talk to you about how it works, and 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 see if there's any way um, we can we can sort some things out. So, what was it that you had in mind about uh, an augmented reality application? Can you describe it to me a little bit? Yeah. So. I uh, plan a lot of experiences that uh, are connected to uh, these natural and historical attractions. So it could be within a national forest, you know, up some trail where there's a waterfall or something like that. But then mm -hmm. a lot of times it's uh, a more um, uh, human influenced environment um, that where I really can see this application working well um, I, I do, I'll go, I'll take people to say the, the mother colony house in Anaheim. And it's one of the oldest houses in all of Orange County. And it's when Anaheim was founded, you had all these German immigrants, um, coming here. And this is a, like this master plan community where they had the largest vineyard in the world, which most people don't know that Anaheim, that's how it started. And, and, and they're producing millions of gallons of wine at its peak, but then this blight you know, destroyed the, the vineyard and, um, and then they had to adapt and, and then they went into citrus and walnuts and other things and, and never looked back. And, and that's how Anaheim began back in the, the mid to late 1800s. So I'm at, at this place where they have the house and they, and they have some grounds and everything like that. But uh, a lot of times, I mean, I may schedule this once a month or once a year visiting that location. And this is just one example. There's little pockets of history like this everywhere, right? And some are well-kept and some are in ruins and um, some are much smaller than they used to be in terms of like the amount of land that used to be there. It, you know, it's shrunk over time. It's now surrounded by something else or, or whatever. So you have these, this story and you have some evidence of the story physically there. But then if I'm not leading a tour, if the local historical society isn't hosting some sort of event to connect the public to this place, then it's just this quiet um, uh, sort of 
without a lot of context, sort of anomaly in, in, in a world where that is much different now. You know, usually mm-hmm. these historical landmarks don't really fit in and they might be hidden uh, within our urban matrix, the jungle or whatever. And so somebody might stumble ap- across this place after hours or you know, some kind, sometimes they don't have anybody doing anything there ever. You know, it's just a place that's been set aside and that's it. And there's a plaque that you can read or there's a sign. And it, I, th- I, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of those sorts of muse- museum experiences where you have to hold your hands behind your back. You're not allowed to touch anything. There's a lot of information posted on a wall. You go through the exhibit and then you, that's it. Um, it's not memorable to me. I don't, I, you know, I don't even remember what I looked at. And so you go to a place like that and may, it might be somewhat stimulating because it's different than everything else and it represents some period in time. But I think what makes these places come alive is the story and also visual um, stimulus, um, physical stimulus. And so, you know, I'm a big fan of living history enactment. And so like going to a blacksmith shop, you know, an old school blacksmith shop and the guy's like talking about, yeah, this is how I do this, you know, as he's, you know, doing, putting his hammer down and making sparks yeah. and, you know, and, and he's dressed in a certain period attire, you know, so to have somebody like that telling a story and inviting you into the process, you know, somebody who knows wine would potentially be, you know, I'm a German immigrant from, uh, yeah, you know, from the old country and, and I'm so excited to homestead here with my wife and, and we're going to start our vineyards and da, 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 da. So I, I always want to, I love technology in that it, like you said, it brings people closer together or can, and it brings the human back into the equation, even though it may seem like it doesn't, if it's abused. Um, this is an example where it would be so cool to just hire actors, those passionate about history, ideally, but any, anybody who's willing to portray a, historical figure from a certain period of time, give them a little money, you know, or maybe, or, well, not a little, but I mean, talking about putting money into things that we believe in, I mean, there's an opportunity to pay people what they're worth. They learn about the history, they learn a script, they dress in, in authentic period attire, and they have, you know, they almost interact with you. They even ask you questions. I mean, this is all you know, t- videoed or whatever, but then this whole other element for all those who love spending time on computers, doing computer modeling and everything and, and using bits of life and then and manipulating it. Say there used to be this giant vineyard or say there used to be this other building there that doesn't exist anymore. Say, um, you know, this castle is in ruins uh, and, and nobody, you know, and, but research has figured out exactly what it used to look like. You could have these actors you know, superimposed with, I don't think this is anything new. I think I've seen stuff like this before, but I don't think it's being utilized enough. Um, You know, you could recreate the landscape as it used to exist and have these living, breathing actors a part of it. And then, you know, everybody's using their phones anyway and everybody has all these different apps. So this is, you know, maybe this is through a special historical app or whatever on living history or whatever, but Basically, they are at that location and they're not only interacting with it physically, but now they're like, oh, my God, I had no idea, you know, and this guy is 
this is so fascinating what he's telling me. And he's, he's, you know, he's asking me questions about the trivia or she's, she's describing this process to me that I didn't know. That's how they use that tallow vat, you know, cause you have all these artifacts at these places and they're just sitting there. It's like, wait, okay. I, I know what that says that is, but I don't, I, I have for the life of me, I don't know how to use it. And I'm not even allowed to touch it because it's falling apart, you know? But if you could have somebody demonstrating with an intact one on a video, that would be amazing. You know, I per ideally people are there all the time. And maybe this is a step in getting people back to those places, you know, um, but especially in these pandemic days, it, you know, and everything, a lot of things are happening virtually. Um, I think there's just an opportunity for these types of places to really do more there and, and engage yeah. people, you know? Yeah, I mean, so first of all, I mean, there's a ton of things you can do. Um, my mind being on the the the, the technical side of things, um, all that is super doable. And they even have like, for what you're talking about, I mean, you need like a QR code, like those little dot things that you right. pull the phone and like brings you to a thing. Um, there's online web applications that if you had the videos, if you had the input, I mean, you could just go around, you know, laminating QR codes around the city. And then if you just aggregated those videos, you can say when someone pulls up their cue card in here, then show the video. Um, those things are, are, are very doable. Um, and they're not highly technical um, on, on the things. The, <clears throat> the human labor of getting like a blacksmith to go and do it and create it and stuff like that. I mean, you, you know, it's that, cause that's the, the richness of it, the richness of, of that storytelling, of that immersion of, of, because we learn the best by saying, hey, here's who I am. Let me show you this thing. This is how I do this thing. Like that is where we go, oh, yeah. reading, reading words is not the, not it, it works, but it's not nearly as impactful as seeing another human do, especially if there was answers where you could do things. I mean, I, I, I mean, I've made augmented rally business cards where you know, it's like, hey, what do you want to learn about? And you hit a button and it opens up a new thing. You know, the, the, the biggest intensity was going and filming and doing and aggregating all the content and then building it all out. But I, I would imagine that there has to be like either historical societies or like the part of the city or people like that, that, that want to keep those memories alive, that would be willing to support in some way, shape and form, whether it's creating the content or, or whatever it might be to get those things out there. But it, it'd be cool to have those like, I think of it almost like a citywide scavenger hunt. You know, you go around yes. and you're just like, oh, cool. And then like, you know, there's like a little riddle on how you get to the next spot or whatever. And you got to go Pokemon Go over that area. And then you like, exactly. Up. Yeah. yeah well, I met, and you know, one of the reasons I even thought of the idea was I was watching people go to these really unique places for Pokemon Go, but they were still completely disconnected to the place because all that they were learning about was Pokemon stuff. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh man, if there was even a Pokemon, uh, you know, uh, a version of Pokemon where it actually elaborated on the local history, that would be awesome. I mean, it, you know, kill two birds with one stone sort of thing, you know, so. Yeah, and that Pokemon I, Go yeah, it sounds like is like, well, it, it, those types of things exist, but like, well, I mean, we do lose our history so much by not by not keeping those traditions alive and those things along, I, I, my own company, we made um, kind of like a Pokemon Go thing, much smaller, much less. Um, but it was for Star Wars, where like the Dole Bananas, 
like, you know, that little sticker on the dual bananas as little Chiquita thing. Instead of that, it was like a C3PO or um, uh, Chewbacca or whatever it was. And people would scan it and then they'd find out healthy recipes that they could make with their family. Huh. Again, taking that same mechanism of scavenger hunt, yeah. but find that, but then unlock healthy recipes that you can make with your family, right? And it's again, that kind of stuff, but, the, but you know, the, the, the big effort comes into like making the content and stuff like that. So, oh, so yeah. I, I, I would imagine though, like some cities or someone um, oh, so excited somebody would be willing to like create a lot of the content because the the, the, the the actual application is not so it's not super technical especially if you just want to be like show a video do a thing um, but it's it's very enriching it's like it's like I went to Alcatraz and I got to do the audio tour where you walk around and even just the audio of hearing someone talk it's so much more than like I'm in the cell you know okay yes. like you don't you know so even at the lowest hanging fruit, like the ability for someone, like someone that was just telling the story, right? It's just, and so, yeah, no, it makes a, makes a lot of sense. It's just, it's, it's just the, um, just the act of setting up all the pieces. As you know, getting that engine to turn over, getting, getting everyone to support, hey, come out, let's do a shoot. It just, it just takes, it takes human energy and uh, enthusiasm. Um, but I think there's, there's absolutely a need for that. Uh, and, and, yeah, I think it's, I think it's beautiful. Um, so it's totally doable. And, uh, and yeah, so I mean, I'm more than happy to, 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 to chat more about it and point you in some directions and be like, Hey, here's the easiest way to get these things done. Yeah. Um, but that it's at the, but I could totally see something like that as a, as it's just, don't forget our heritage. I know a friend of mine who's, um, a survival friend, um, uh, he was like trying to document all these like, um, tribes that were disappearing and because they were disappearing he's just trying to like document what they had um and he's trying to get some sort of support for somebody to give him some money so he can turn this into like a documentary he went and gathered all the stuff but he's like he's like look we're losing all our tribes we're losing all these cultures we're losing all these old ways and it's just like we're constantly building forward without stopping and appreciating going backwards and 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 because of that we lose a piece of herself in that process. Um, so, uh, and I think it's beautiful. Let me ask you, what's your, <clears throat> what's your like holy grail? Like what, like ultimately with the, uh, with the naturalist for you um, and all that, like, what do you ultimately, you know, what's the, the, how, like, how would you know if you've, you've, you've achieved your holy grail, you've, you've been able to set out to do what you wanted to do with the program? Uh, well, in a lot of ways, uh, I'm already seeing success. Uh, I'm, I'm benefiting from uh, uh, all the effort of doing I, I basically, I've been a naturalist since 2001, and so 19 years. And then I started Naturalist View in 2006, so that's, what, 14 years ago. And just the sheer volume of people I've interacted with, uh, I've seen the positive impacts of that. Or I've, I've experienced, I should say, um, uh, because it's a long enough period of time where I've, I've hosted, I've facilitated experiences, activities for young children and families, and now the children are going to college. 
and uh, and uh, I've um, and I've seen people uh, that I led a tour for also uh, pursue careers in the environmental field, uh, either in environmental education or research or something like that. And um, and the fact that um, we get requests without having to promote ourselves for our services um, is, I think, a testament to everything that we have done. I mean, initially when I started Naturalist View, it was just me and, uh, and I was leading hikes in very specific locations. And I think the way I started the environment and the way I was as a guide has definitely, uh, it was much different than I am now. I've definitely evolved and, and I think have become more effective at facilitating these experiences than I used to. Um, but as I continued to meet up with all these cool people uh, with all different backgrounds, political ideologies, religions and everything, and some of them have volunteered with, with our organization and, and many have been participants. I mean, it's thousands upon thousands of people and I don't, I'm not the best at documenting the, the, you know, I, so I don't have the statistics, but I know it's a crap load. Um, there are just amazing things that happen because of that. I mean, things like you just uh, out of the blue talking to me and hey, I want to do this podcast about, you know, um, stuff like that happens all the time. And it's so neat to know that it is a we, we are appreciating our environment now. We are planning things together. And if, if I couldn't say that, then that would be the Holy Grail. But it, mm -hmm. I think we're already there. I, I mean, I guess, you know, to be, I can be satisfied with where we are now. I, it, but, you know, if I'm lucky enough to live longer, I'm just gonna keep pushing for more people to be connected. And, uh, and, it's, it's at first it was connect everyone to local wilderness, right? Um, that was our mission, but now I feel it's more just building community and yeah. to know that we are creating this safety net for each other that, you know, if any one of us falters for whatever reason, there's a support network that can continue forward and make sure that we're all appreciating each other, appreciating the plants, the wildlife, the streams, the mountains, the ocean, everything. And uh, so, I mean, I do have a holy grail in terms of something I want to see, um, but it's it's not it's not um, it's literally an animal I just want to see. <laughs> I want to see a badger in Orange County. That's what. <laughs> I want to see a wild badger. So that would be the one actually, I actually tell people on my tours, this is the holy grail animal. I want to see a badger in Orange County. Supposedly they used to be here. They might still be here. There's like every once in a while, somebody has a sighting and, but they're so elusive. And I have seen wild badgers in other places just north of here in Kern County. I saw, you know, I, I know there are other places, but to see one here, would be incredible. I've seen a mountain lion already. So that's not a holy grail animal anymore. I, I was hoping to see um, a burrowing owl in Orange County, which I have literally in nice. Anaheim next to somebody's office complex, which is mind blowing in itself, but not too far away from the Santa Ana River. 
so it made sense. Yeah. Um, but Badgers, where are they? Tell me. <laughs> they're supposed to be a black star. I mean, I'm and I'm not joking, you know. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think we're, I'm really fortunate. I think I think we've accomplished more than I ever expected to. So uh, that's beautiful. Man. Yeah, yeah. I, I never, I never, I was not expecting that as an answer. I <laughs> other other answers, but that not that one, which was which was which was wonderful and beautiful. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean. I mean yeah, you had an impact on me and I shared you with my friends and so forth and so on. And it's just, it, it ripples out. Um, and yes. I, I, think, I think it's, I think it's beautiful. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to reach out with you, if they want to book you for a private tour, maybe help you go find this elusive badger in Orange County, how do they, how do they get a hold of you? Well, we have an old fashioned website and that is, www.naturalist-for-you.org. So that's naturalist for you with hyphens in between the words.org. Um, my phone number, my email is on there. But for all those social media savvy people, we're on Facebook, we're on uh, Instagram, we're on Twitter, and you can always message us that way. Um, but, uh, I, I like the old school using a phone sort of way. Uh, and basically, like I was saying at the beginning of this, um, a lot of what we do is by request and we can, I've been around and, and so have a lot of our other naturalists and we're all very passionate about plants and birds and bugs and foraging and survival skills and indigenous cultures and all of that. And it's so rich here, just in Southern California, that you can learn a little bit about those things and see almost every type of environment here. But we need you, the public, to contact us somehow and say, hey, I want to go out on this weekend or on this weekday with my friends or my coworkers, and I want to see a waterfall, or I want to learn about birds, or I want to learn... Um, what the indigenous people ate at this time of year, or I want to, you know, I just want to learn everything. And I, and I, but I've never been on the trails or, or I've never been to this location. I want, you know, I need somebody who knows, you know, and that's what we're there for. So we're here to service the public, usually by request. Sometimes I schedule things based on what I want to do and put it on our public calendar. So you can find stuff like that on our website. Oh, meetup.com is the other way. Um, and that's a real easy way to RSVP for things, to suggest locations or themes, or even reach out to some of our other naturalists, um, meetup.com, just look up naturalists for you. Um, and that's free to join. So in any case, um, those are the ways to contact us. Um, you know, we're just waiting for, to do something with everybody, basically. Love it, Joel. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate being on this podcast. I appreciate all that you do and what you stand for. So thank you so much for this. And uh, I look forward to seeing you on the trails, my friend. Thank you so much. And I, yeah, I want to see you on the trail too. Uh, that would be great. It's been too long. I know. I know. We got to do it again soon. Thank you so much, brother. Have a beautiful day. Take care, Joel. Yeah, I'll you too. Ya. Take care. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes Quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or, if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, 
Tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.